Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message for March 2022. For more information on this podcast and our other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you from Bixby, Oklahoma. It's the 15th of March as I record this message. It's the Ides of March, as we commonly know it. And it was the day upon which Julius Caesar was assassinated. And he was warned by the soothsayer who said, beware of the Ides of March. And so, unfortunately, it's come to have a very negative connotation in our modern usage. But really, the 15th of March is a good day. It is the day, the 74th day of the Roman calendar, by which time all debts should be paid. And I believe that God is in that process. He is fulfilling his promises to us, his people. He is coming to establish righteousness and justice in the earth. It's a great day for us. And so uh, the don't beware of the Ides of March. Receive and welcome the, the Ides of March. In fact, it was also the beginning of, it was a new year in some calendars in, in the past. So let's just embrace it as the beginning of a new season. Uh, for us. Well, this month I'm going to continue in our series on the generosity of grace, and I'm coming to part five. This has been a great study for me personally. I've spent so much time meditating on this, this month's message, and it just has been a great blessing to me to meditate on the generosity of God's grace as revealed to us in Jesus Christ. The verse that I'm going to use to start off with is a word verse in which this word appears, and I've mentioned mentioned it before in previous studies, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And that word simplicity there, I believe, should be translated generosity. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it's translated generosity. And in Romans 12 and verse 8, it Paul says, he who gives with generosity. It wouldn't be with simplicity there. It's with generosity. This word rightly should be translated generosity. Satan wants to deceive us as he did Eve, that God is not as generous as he said he is. He comes to Eve and he says to her, has God really said you cannot eat of any of the trees of the garden? Well, God never said that. He gave them every tree to eat from bar one. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And so Satan comes and says, as God said, you can't eat. And he says, no, no, no. He said, we can eat of all of the trees except that one. But And then he said this, she said this, and you shall not touch it. Well, God had said nothing about not touching it. So you understand that she was already compromising the truth by adding to what God had said about about the not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan comes with his whopper and she is deceived. He says, you shall not surely die because God knows in the day that you eat of it, you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. 
And that has been his purpose ever since, to deceive us concerning the character of God. He wants to convince us that God is not as good as he has said that he is, that he is not as kind and as gracious and generous as he has portrayed. And religion has really helped him in clouding our picture of who God is. And you know that my passion is to restore daddy's picture and see the father's picture restored in the earth as Jesus came to do it. But Satan is continually wanting to cloud the issue and deceive us into believing that God is holding out on us. He's withholding from us that which would be really good for us. And so the word for deception here is an interesting word. It means to thoroughly deceive, to hoodwink. And Paul uses it about Eve in 1 Timothy in verse 14, Paul says that Eve was thoroughly deceived into transgression. And the word for transgression is to go beyond, to overstep the mark. Satan, you know, if he can't keep us from embracing our inheritance, then what he does is he pushes us to the point that we overstep the mark, that we go beyond what God has said, as he was trying to do with Eve. And so he wants us to overstep. If, we, if we're not going to live in the fullness and the abundance, he'll take us beyond and cause us to overstep. That's in the nature of his deception. And you know as well as I do that right now in the world, there is a tremendous spirit of deception loose in this enti entire world. It's loose in the nation. It's loose in the church. It's loose on mainstream media. And if you're listening to mainstream media, you are imbibing a spirit of deception. And as I've taught before, if you're receiving the spirit of the world, you can't at the same time receive the spirit of revelation from God. And so, you know, I've been a staggered at the number of Christians who are wonderful believers, but who out of fear because of what the mainstream media has spread, have taken the jab simply because out of fear, instead of hearing God, listening to God and finding what the Holy Spirit says, because the Holy Spirit surely would have warned them of the negative consequences of, of what was being placed in that jab. But it, it's like the, there is the spirit of deception out there. And tragically, so many of my brothers and sisters have been deceived into, into believing the lies of the enemy. So he's succeeding as he did with Eve. He's succeeding to rob us of the, our conviction of the generosity that is in Christ, that God is not holding out on us, that God is so totally generous with us. And so he wants to corrupt our minds. The battlefield is your mind. That's where he sows his seeds of doubt. That's where he sows uh, his lies, his deception in, in your mind so that your mind is corrupted. It has death upon it because you've listened to his word and his word always has death in it instead of listening to the truth of God's word. So he said to Eve, God knows that if you eat this, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's undermining the character, the nature, the goodness of God, the, the, the generosity of God to Eve and making her doubt that God really is as good as he says that he is. And so God's antidote 
to that deception of the enemy is to send his son, who we know came as the express image of God's person. He is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So let's go back and look at the Old Testament God. So many people have a problem because of the mixing of covenants and the mixture of the old covenant with the new covenant. And so the God who revealed himself to Israel through the law of Moses is a forbidding God. He's a God who has no tolerance for uh, disobedience and for, for sin. And so, so many people have this warped view of God because they have imported into the New Testament the picture of God under the Old Testament. And God under the Old Testament is a vindictive, angry God, a God who gets even. And so as a result of that, it seems like that there's such a disparity between that picture of God and Jesus who comes, you know, the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who comes to show kindness, to show love, to show goodness and so on. And so as a result, so many people have divorced the two and can't reconcile the God of the Old Testament with Jesus, who is the expression of God. And I want to tell you this, your picture of God, the Father, has to mesh with the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. If your picture of God diverges in any way from what Jesus revealed in the New Testament as he walked and talked on this earth and is revealed through the New Testament scriptures, if that pic your picture diverges from that picture, then your picture is wrong. It's erroneous to import into the New Covenant a revelation or a picture of God that he has revealed himself through a covenant of law to Moses and the children of Israel. Do you understand that? God has come to correct the misunderstanding of his nature, which the law enforced. Before the law was there, he related to man on the basis of grace, Moses, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were not perfect men, but God related to them on the basis of a covenant of promise that he had made. And so it was grace. And so they enjoyed God's favor. They enjoyed God's fellowship. They enjoyed intimacy with God in spite of the fact that they were imperfect men. And that was because of the nature of the covenant. The law changes everything and God becomes adversarial toward Israel because of their unbelief. It was never God's intention, I don't believe, to relate to man. Paul says in Galatians 3, the law was added because of the transgression. The transgression under the, under the covenant of Abraham was failure to believe God. And because Israel failed to believe God, they transgressed the covenant that was in place, the covenant of grace and faith through Moses. And as a result, God gave them the covenant of law. And Jesus comes to set aside that covenant as a basis of relationship with God by perfectly fulfilling the law, dying for the sins, the transgressions under that covenant and bringing us into a new covenant, a covenant of grace. And so he begins his ministry and he begins immediately to reveal a side of God that had been lost in all of the ages of, of Israel. The first sign, the first miracle that he performs is in Cana of Galilee. And what does he do there? They're at a wedding feast. They run out of wine. 
His mother comes to him and says, <clears throat> we're out of wine. And Jesus said, what is that between you and me? And my time has not yet come. Mary goes to the, the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And so there were six water pots between 20 and 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill them with water. And then he says, draw it off and take them to the governor of the feast. And so he makes between 120 and 180 gallons of the best wine. There was no need for that quantity of wine to satisfy the needs of that uh, wedding feast. What is he doing? He is demonstrating the generosity of the Father, the superabundance of God's goodness and God's grace and God's love for mankind. He's coming in to show the world that our picture of God has been distorted, has been perverted through, through the Old Testament revelation of the law. And he's coming to show what God's really like. He's generous He's he, he wants to bring in the wine of celebration into our everyday life. Man, what a picture that is. And then that was the wine. What about the feeding of the 5,000? What about the feeding of the 4,000? In both of those miracles, he's extraneous. He's, he makes more than enough. He goes beyond the requirement of the moment. He feeds at least well, the 5,000 men besides women and children with five loaves and two small fish. And the Bible says that they were able to collect. He said to the disciples, collect the fragments. There were 12 baskets full of fragments left over. <laughs> That's the generosity of God. He goes way beyond, more than enough. Ephesians chapter 3, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. If only we could believe that. If we could look at the miracles of Jesus and say, okay, he made 150 gallons at least of wine. He, he, he fed the 5,000 and there were 12 baskets full left over. He fed the 4,000 and there were seven baskets full of barley bread left over. He supplies the need in super abundance. There is a generosity that is indescribable in God. But most of us have been raised to doubt his generosity. We've been raised to, to be suspicious of any promise that is too good to be true. And yet the Bible is absolutely clear. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think, as Amplified translates it, way beyond our wildest dreams. That's our God. But so many of us have not embraced him for who he is because we've been robbed. And maybe the reason why we have been robbed of a confidence in the truth of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ is because of what beset the disciples. You'll remember that in Mark chapter 8 and verses 13 to 18, he gets into a boat with his disciples and he makes a statement, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the disciples think, oh, it's because we haven't brought any bread. And so Jesus says to them, what are you guys discussing? And uh, he said, when we fed the 5,000, how many baskets full did we collect afterwards? Twelve. How many of, there, of you are there? 
12. And when we fed the 4,000, how many baskets full did you collect after that? And it was seven. And he says, do you not yet see or understand? Eight, chapter 8. He says, do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do, not, do you not hear? And do you not remember? You see, the disciples had seen the generosity of Jesus in all the, not just in the provision, but also in his miracles. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 16, it says this, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demonized, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Jesus healed all who were sick. The disciples saw it. They saw the healing power of Jesus. And Matthew says it was the fulfillment of the prophetic word of Isaiah 53, that he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And then in Matthew chapter um, 9, Verses 35 to 36, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. That's God. That's God healing all the sicknesses, casting out demons, uh, uh, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease among the people. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. That's God. He's moved with compassion over the situations that you face. He has so moved with compassion that he has provided an abundant provision in Jesus Christ. It's already yours provided in Jesus. But our hearts have been hardened just like the disciples, so that we are faced with miracles, we're faced with the supernatural, and yet we do not identify the supernatural of God. The hardness of our hearts, the word for, for the hardness there is the petrification of our hearts. Our hearts have been hardened, and it's the same word that is used in Ephesians 4 and verse 17. I want to reference that again. Ephesians 4, he says, he says, I, I, this I say, therefore, that you walk no, testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. So he's saying the hardness of your heart can cause you to be ignorant and your ignorance can cause you to become alienated from the life of God. Wow. The hardness of your heart leads to an ignorance which can alienate you from the life of God. The hardness of your heart can lead you to ignorance, which would cause you to be alienated from the life of God. That's pretty serious. He said, that's how the Gentiles live. And he says, don't live that way anymore. Why? Because believe the truth of the abundance that we have in God. Now, I want us to look at six reasons as to why our hearts have become hardened. And the first one is this. It's the conditioning 
of culture. We live in a time when the support systems around us are so immense that our first place that we go to when we are in a crisis is to one of the support systems that are all around us. Instead of going to God immediately, if we have a financial lack, we do what I did for, you know, for many years, and that is, well, we use the credit card. If we have health, we go to the, run to the doctor. Whatever the need is, our culture provides answers for. And as a result, we don't run to God. And the conditioning of the culture can also apply to the fact that, as with the disciples, they had been so long in a, play, in a vacuum where no spiritual, supernatural activity was going on. And Jesus comes on the scene. And it's hard to believe that all of the miracles that Jesus did was really for them. Their hearts were hardened. Even although they partook of the, they were the ones who were dishing out the, the loaves and the fish. They picked up the fragments in the baskets and yet their hearts were still hardened. They didn't perceive, Jesus said, because the, culturally they were so bereft of supernatural in their religion. There were no miracles. There were no signs and wonders happening. So when Jesus comes with signs and wonders, you know that even the religious leaders rejected his signs and his wonders. They, they, they accused him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of Satan. Jesus had to say to them, you guys, you know, if Satan casts out Satan, then his kingdom is divided and no kingdom that is divided will stand. So Culturally, they were not accustomed to the supernatural and they were not attuned to the fact that God was a good God, that he was ready to do all these amazing things because of his great love and his great compassion. The second reason why our hearts are hardened are disappointed expectations. This is so for so many of us because... We have believed promises. We have prayed prayers. We have trusted God to do things and he hasn't seemed to come through. And as a result, so many have become disappointed. We've prayed for a loved one to be to be healed. We've prayed for a, a, a loved one to be saved and it, there's nothing seems to be happening. And as a result, we become disappointed and our faith and our confidence in God is eroded. The third reason why we have hardness of heart is betrayal of trust. Probably this is one that affects so many of us. You've trusted somebody, you've trusted their word to you, and they betrayed your trust, whether it was a parent, whether it was a spouse, whether it was a close friend who betrayed your trust, and that has caused you to have a cynicism and a skepticism. And you've you've battled with believing that that God is really as good as he says he is because you're not sure that you can really trust him, especially in the light of the fact that I'm going to touch on in a moment that religion has produced such an ambivalence of belief about God's promises and his nature and his character and what he is willing to do. And as a result, we feel betrayed and we're not sure. And listen, you can't love someone whom you don't trust. And if you have any shadow of doubt 
about Jesus, you're not going to be able to love and receive his love. The next reason for the hardness of the heart is the enormity of the challenge. I want to reference here the disciples. First of all, Jesus sends them out. He gives them power and authority. Luke 9 verse 1, he sends out the disciples and he gives them power and authority. And he says, go and heal the sick raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. And so they go out and when they come back, the Bible says they were so excited with what they had seen that they tell Jesus everything that they've encountered and, and what is the, the things that they've done, the things that they've taught. And Jesus says, come away and let's go and rest a while. So in Luke chapter 9, where they, Luke describes that, the sending out of the disciples, later in the chapter is the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And when he comes down, the disciples are in a commotion. There's a commotion surrounding them. A man had brought his son to Jesus, and this boy was so demonized that the demons would throw him in the fire and in water and try to drown him, try to kill him. I mean, it, it was a big, big case. And so as a result of that, the disciples were intimidated by the, what they were seeing with their natural eyes. The challenge was beyond them. They'd gone out earlier in the chapter. They had seen signs and wonders, but now they are confronted with something that boggles their mind. I don't know about you, but I've had the same experiences in the whole uh, healing journey of, of yes, sometimes I have faced someone who the situation looks like an impossibility and faith flees from me. And so that can be a, because of the hardness of the heart. The challenge is just so overwhelmingly big that faith goes out the window. The fifth thing is religious ambivalence. Our hearts are hardened because of religious ambivalence. Now, I want to spend a little time here because of our mixed, because of our mixture of covenants, the old and the new covenant. The old covenant, the blessings of God were all conditional upon man's obedience and man's performance. And tragically, we have heard preaching again and again in churches that imply that God's blessings are conditional upon our obedience and upon things that we do. And as a result, there's been an ambivalent message coming from the pulpit. Instead of preaching the goodness of God, God and the, the simplicity of faith and trust in Him and receiving from His hand everything that is already provided for us in Jesus Christ, we have been told that if we want to receive the blessings of God, then we have to do certain things. There's some promises of God that are yes, and there's others that are no. There's some others that are wait or, you know, they're conditional and so on. And I want to re refer you to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul has to establish to the Corinthian church because they had accused him of ambivalence. He said, but as God is faithful... Our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached to you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, he who establishes 
us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts in, in, as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit seals to us the promises of God and assures us that God's word is true, that God is not yes and no. Everything that God has said in Christ, he says yes to, and we can add our amen to that. There is no ambivalence in the promises of God. There is no ambivalence in the gospel. There is no conditionality. And the tragedy of it is this, that for so many people, they have been taught that certain blessings of God are conditioned upon what we do. I shudder when I hear somebody give a testimony and say, well, God has blessed me because I'm a tither, because that has put a conditionality into your relationship with God. And it detracts from the grace and the goodness of God so that God is limited by what you do to bless you according to what you do. It's all grace, people. It's all grace. It's not because you are tither. It's not because of your obedience. It's not because you fasted and prayed. It's not because you're diligent in, in your spiritual duties. It's all of grace. And anything else detracts from the grace of God. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul says this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed you. It's yours already. It's yours simply to receive. He's not withholding any spiritual blessing from you based upon what you do. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, not according to what we have done, not according to our obedience. And then listen to this, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. It is by his grace. And he wants us to be to the praise of the glory of his grace by which we have been made accepted in the beloved. This word accepted is a wonderful word. It's the same word that is used. It's only used twice in the, in the New Testament. Luke 1, 28. It's used of Mary, hail, thou favored one, highly favored of the Lord. It's the same word. We are highly favored because we are receptive to God's grace is how um, my Bible program t says it. And the word is to pursue with grace, compass with favor, to honor with blessings. <laughs> ah, that's all we have received it by his grace to the praise of the glory of grace by which he has made us not just accepted, but endowed, favored with abundance of grace in the beloved. It's his grace. It's his grace, people. You can't do a thing to earn it. You can't do a thing to to, to make twist God's arm to bless you. I remind you of the origins of tithing for the nation of Israel started with Jacob. It's not with Abraham. Abram gave a tithe of, of the, the spoils of war. But Jacob is really the one who, in whom the, the first uh, tithe became a conditional thing. God had said to Jacob, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to 
do all these things for you. And he ends up the blessing with this. I will not leave you alone until I've done everything that I've promised you. Unconditional blessings. Jacob responds with, if you will, if you will watch me as I go, as you meet, feed, give me food and clothes and all the rest of it, then you'll be my God. And this place where I've had this meeting with you will be a, a, a place of a, a fellowship with you. And he said, of everything you give me, I will give you a tenth. God had just given him unconditional blessings. And he responds with a bargaining with God. If you will bless me, then I will. And so as a result of Jacob's uh, intransigence, we have the problem of the compulsory tithe brought in to the nation of Israel. But we're not under that. That was for Israel. We are under the new covenant. And I'm going to go into that next week. The, the grace of God is bestowed upon us so that we should walk in a kind of supernatural generosity that is not according to our ability at all, but beyond our ability. God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things might abound unto every good work. So religious ambivalence has caused many to have a hardness of heart. Their hearts are not responsive to the supernatural acts of God, to the generosity and the goodness of God, because they have been so distorted and, and affected by religious ambivalence. And the last thing is familiarity. Familiarity. About a month ago, Bev and I were up in Colorado Springs. We went up to visit with Bradley, our son, and Jessica, his wife, and their three children. And uh, Jessica's parents, Dave and Becky Grothy, were in Hawaii, so they invited us to stay in their home. And each morning, Bev and I got up and we went into their den, which has these large picture windows and an incredible view of Pikes Peak and the Front Range. And what a, you know, when you sit there having your quiet time, you can't but just marvel at the beauty of the, the mountains covered with snow. And it, it was just a, a, a precious time for us. And I was reminded of the story that Peter Lord used to tell. Peter Lord says that one time he was up in Colorado Springs visiting there and preaching in the church that his son was pastoring at. And every morning he said he'd get up, he'd get coffee, and he would just look at the mountains and make a remark about the mountains and just overwhelmed with the beauty coming from Titusville, Florida, which is flat. I mean, it was spectacular for him. And it, he would comment to his son about the mountains and his son said this to him. He said, Dad, do you know that there's some people who live in Colorado Springs who don't even notice the mountains anymore? And Peter Lord began to think about that. And so he, he said to his son, he said, you know, the only way for those mountains not to become familiar so that you don't notice them anymore is to comment on them, respond to them every time you see them. There's such an important lesson in that, because what has happened to so many of us is this. We have not acknowledged God. Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not 
unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You see, the human tendency is for us to explain away anything that we don't fully understand. And so when God is trying to do things in our lives that are supernatural and are manifestations of his goodness, we start trying to reason them away. And we just become so familiar and we don't acknowledge him. He says in verse 6 of Proverbs 3, in all your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, recognize him. How do you recognize the ways of God? Comment on them. Thank him for them. Respond to them. Say, God, that's you. That's you. That's God. That's God. That's not coincidence. That's not because of my smarts. That's you, God. That's you. That's you. Give him the glory. I'm reminded of when I was 19 years of age in my first car, Austin A40, and I was driving up Van Rienen's Pass in South Africa with my Austin A40, and I was able to make it to the top of the pass in fourth gear. And I stopped at the top of the pass, got out, patted the car, and spoke to my car and told her what a good thing that she had done. And then the, the stupidity of my action got through to me and I thought, yeah, who gets? And God spoke to me and he said, who gets the glory? The car or the manufacturer who designed it and built it? And I thought, yeah, it's the manufacturer. And he said this to me as a 19-year-old at the top of Van Rienen's Pass in, in uh, South Africa. He said, there's no limit to what I will do through you if you'll be careful to give me all the glory. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, give the credit to him. In all your ways, give the glory to him. Respond to every little thing that he does and say, it's God, it's God, and give him glory and praise him. Man, I've been uh, reading th uh, three books on that an uh, author from Nashville has written on the hymns, the historical hymns. And I'm just old fashioned. I love the old hymns and I've enjoyed that so much. But I, I, one of the things that has struck me is the emphasis in the Psalms on singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And that's in the New Testament as well. Be filled with the Spirit, singing. <laughs> Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Man, there's, sing His praises, sing His praises. God, you've done wonderful things. God, you're so good to me. You've always been so good to me. I'll sing it through eternity. God, you're so good. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And your heart will not become hardened. You will not become cynical. You will not become skeptical. You, you'll have an open heart. And so I want to end off with this. How do, what is the antidote to the hardness of heart? And I'm going to go to a passage that God just ministered to me in my quiet time um, last week. And it was such a blessing to me. In Luke chapter, uh, Mark chapter 10, excuse me. They brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. 
the antidote to the hardness of heart is becoming childlike in your trust and in your confidence in God. And that is manifested or displayed in your willingness to receive from God. I, I just will tell you a story from last week. Bev woke up uh, last Monday morning with a pain in her side, obviously related to her appendix. And she was in pain all day. And I laid hands on her. I prayed for her and I trusted the Lord to, to, to heal her. And that night we had two men from uh, Louisiana, Dave Diamond and his friend um, Duke, come and spend the night with us. And Dave has been so impacted through our ministry for a number of years and has been traveling in India and has been teaching the, the, the message of grace over there and seeing wonderful signs and wonders. And so we invited them to, to pray for, for Bev. And God touched her. And, you know, it would be easy for me to say, well, I've prayed for her already, you know, and my, my prayers are as powerful as yours, but it's learning to receive like a little child. And so Dave and, and Duke ministered to Bev, prayed over her. The next morning she woke up, the pain was completely gone, 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 gone. She was healed. <laughs> In fact, when they'd finished praying for her, she was healed. You see, now, if we had been, well, you know, we, we're the spiritual leaders. We've, we've been teaching you for years about the truth of the grace of God, you know, kind of thing. We don't need to receive from you. If we had have been haughty and not submitted like little children to receive their ministry, you know, it was just, it was, again, becoming like a little child in order to receive. If you don't become like a little child and receive the kingdom of heaven as a little child, he says this, you will by no means enter it. See, we need the childlike faith and believe that God is who he says he is and who he has revealed himself to be in Jesus Christ and that every promise of his is yes and amen. He, there's no ambivalence with God. He's not withholding any blessing from us. I don't care what people have told you and I don't care what your experience might have been in the past. I'm telling you what the word says. God is altogether generous. His grace is altogether generous. He he has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And it's got nothing to do with your deserving because it is by his grace that he has favored you, that he has endowed you. Ephesians 1 and verse 6. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to fast and pray. Oh, my brother and sister, <laughs> oh, if only we could get free of those religious traps that ensnare so many of us instead of receiving like a little child. And so what did Jesus do, do? He took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. I tell you, God is so willing to bless us. He's so willing to touch us. But we've got to become like little children, being willing to just jump up in his lap and let him lay his hand on us and touch us. You say, oh, but that, that's weird. Well, if that's weird to you, then you're going to miss out because that's the way he demonstrated receiving the kingdom. He took them in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. And if you're willing to humble yourself and say, God, I'm coming to you and I'm just 
jumping up on your lap in the spirit. And I'm just wanting you to lay your hand on me and touch me and bless me. Whoo! <laughs> I'm just about falling over here at my podium. Oh, the anointing is so strong. It's so wonderful. He so wants to touch you. He so wants to bless you. Remember Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, because God was with him. I don't know what oppression you're under at the moment, whether it's economic oppression, emotional oppression, physical oppression, uh, whatever the oppression is that you're under. He wants to heal all those who are oppressed of the devil. All oppression comes from the devil. It does not come from God. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And so I want to encourage you just to receive from him, just to creep up in your daddy's arms. Let him lay his hand upon you and let him bless you. Father, I just raise up everyone who's listening to this message right now. Take them up in your arms, lay your hands on them and bless them. And Lord, where there is unbelief, where there is hardness of heart, God, would you just pour in the oil and the wine to soften those hard hearts. Pour in the oil of your Holy Spirit of your love. The love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that is given unto us. Pour out your love in their hearts. Soften hard hearts. Lord, where there has been betrayal, where there has been suspicion of you, where there has been just an overwhelming shrinking back because of the enormity of the challenge, where we've had this religious ambivalence because of what we have been taught, where we have become familiar with the things of God so that we don't notice any longer the things that you are doing, whatever the reason is, where we've been disappointed in our expectations of you. Lord, we forgive you for disappointing us. We forgive you for the times we cried out to you and you didn't come. We forgive you for not fulfilling your promises in the way that we expected. We for forgive you for not fulfilling those prophetic words that we have received that haven't panned out and has caused us to be so cynical of any prophetic word that we receive. We just forgive you. We release you from the judgments we have made against you. And we jump up in your arms and we yield to your love and say, God, we receive your touch. We receive your loving touch. You're a good God. You're a loving Father. You're so kind to us. And we receive your love, your generosity of grace. Thank you, Lord. Now, where there is a spirit of deception, just as Satan deceived Eve. Right now, I come against that spirit of deception that has clouded the minds of your people, where their minds have been corrupted because of the deception. You foul, lying spirit. You loose the people of God. You leave. The spirit of unbelief goes in Jesus' name. The spirit of fear goes in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that perfect love casts out all fear. So just let your love flood your people right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this and other available teachings, 
please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you, and thank you for listening.